out of Austin, Texas. You're listening to the Unsanctioned Citizen Podcast. Here's your host, Sheila Dean. Hey. Guess what time it is? Well, apparently it is 3 o'clock in the afternoon on a Thursday. And I am really inspired by the... uh, The Quest for Trust by the World Economic Forum. Apparently, mistrust of their narrative is is a thing to be tackled at this point. And I can't imagine why they would get into this space. But uh, I began to get a clue uh, when I corresponded with somebody who I have not probably tweeted at or had some sort of interaction with for seven to ten years. That's how long the some of this lockout has gone on. Now, Marcy Wheeler is somebody who absolutely, utterly despises Alex Jones. And, you know, she didn't really have a good qualification, but she des- definitely, definitely is in that column of uh, FBI paid mouths who will totally... Uh, say or do whatever, no matter how unprincipled or untruthful, uh, she will repeat bad news, uh, ill-repute rhetoric about someone like Alex Jones, an independent media denizen here in Austin, Texas, who built his own fortune. Yeah, I mean, they took him to court for, for disinformation, misinformation, malinformation. And now they're just dragging the hell out of that guy, and he had to go to bankruptcy court. They're trying to make an example out of him, just like they did with Julian Assange. So, on principle, because I know that Marcy Wheeler didn't have to be an unprincipled shill for the Hoover state, she just chose that. That was like her chosen vocation in this life. She had a special spot at the intercept for a little bit, um, but I can't put her in a compartment of people who are honest thinkers. Um, She just will do as she's told and push what she's pushed, and she's a blunt force object with a pen. And uh, so I haven't had much of an opportunity to really say that, but I did need to clear my my throat pipes about it, because this week is uh, World Economic Forum, and while I have said my own critical things about Alex Jones I can't sit there and listen to him for very long he's kind of you know very poker hot critical of of women and women's issues it's like okay well uh, but but downwind there's a lot of he has a lot of allies when it comes to some of this rhetoric so I wrote a book called The Great Reset and I ran out and bought it because one great reset and two you know it's really I feel like there is a unqualified really unfair thing happening to Alex Jones so regardless of what you think of me or Alex Jones maybe maybe give it a shot you know open your mind just a tad uh, listen to, to this chapter uh, I also want to point out that this week, this is the, the week that Davos is having their come to Jesus moment. Uh, they are recognizing that the the public at large internationally is not 
in favor of their policies. And uh, as of today, there was a poll running that Elon Musk put on Twitter. Elon Musk does not like the world economic, this version, this version of world economic forum, the world domination economic forum, that one. So we put out a poll and the poll said, okay, who's in favor of them being the unofficial government of this world? And of course, it was 85% yesterday, 15%. And I'm like, who's the 15%? And today it was 14, so it dropped 1%. So I guess I guess the people who are who are making the cricket snacks are are in the 14%. The the cricket snack factory people. Yeah, they're in favor of the World Economic Forum. Okay. And the um and the people of BlackRock. People raking it in from BlackRock and EBS. Not USB. That's a that's a device. UBS. <laughs> Let me just get on with this. All right. Let me invite some folk. Let's go back here. Okay, I've got one. Oh my gosh, I'm by myself. So I'm gonna invite all the people. Let everybody know what's going on. All right. So this is the reading. So today we're going to be reading from a book authored by Alex Jones. I can just get in here. This is The Great Reset and War for the World. Chapter 6. You probably won't face a firing squad in The Great Reset, but you may be put in a digital gulag. I, I do want to say, before I get started here, that YouTube is still on the disinfo, misinfo, malinfo train. When I tried to look for kind of some campy InfoWars music, when I clicked on the Crystal Method opener, uh, it jammed and blurred. Like, <laughs> like the, it didn't want you to see it, which is really weird. Um, so actively censoring Alex Jones on other media is really kind of bad form. It just shows you how threatened they are by people who have contra-narratives. And the thing is, is that he's not the worst thing out there. I mean, you definitely could have worse, more, you know, baseless conspiracy theorists in the entire universe. And that's not all he is. He actually has some legitimate news people come in and present. He has a lot of polemics, though. I, I will give you that. But, you know, if you're okay with polemicism, if you're okay with... News for incels, that's that's your man. That's your man. All right, let's get there. So we spent a lot of time reviewing the writings of Klaus Schwab and other globalists, but what is the evidence these plans are being put into motion? I think it's important to realize we're unlikely to find an email from Klaus Schwab directing some world leader like, say, Justin Trudeau of Canada on how to deal with a situation. However, when we understand the philosophy of the globalists, the question is, can we find examples that appear consistent with their views that we can assume their involvement at some level? So I believe we can find multiple examples of such efforts beginning first 
with the trucker convoy that surrounded the Canadian Parliament in January and February of 2022 in protest of COVID restrictions. This is how the protests were described in Fortune magazine. The brigade of truck driving protesters from Canada first converged in Ottawa January 28th, occupying various streets around the nation's capital. The protests began in opposition to the introduction of mandate requiring all cross-border truck drivers to be vaccinated against COVID-19. According to the Canadian Trucking Alliance, roughly 90% of Canadian truck drivers were already vaccinated, but a minority of truckers objected to the new requirement for drivers hauling goods between Canada and the U.S. As the protests and their convoys spread across Canada, the focus of the demonstration expanded to oppose all pandemic-era mandates such as mask requirements and COVID-19 vaccine passport check-ins. You might have followed the trucker protests in Canada, but maybe you didn't. I thought the Fortune article did a pretty good job of summarizing how the protests started. Most protest movements start with a single issue, such as in the United States with the death of George Floyd in police custody, and then develop into a discussion of some larger issues such as police practices across the country and their effect on community of color. So democracies are born in protest and it is what gives them vitality. As we have abundantly shown in this book, the globalists are not fond of protest as they believe there is no reason to talk with their opponents. Did Trudeau deal with the protesters in a way consistent with a globalist approach? You decide. Quote, for protesters, the first bad omen for their movement hit on February 5th when GoFundMe suspended Lick's fundraising account after receiving police reports of protest, violence, and other unlawful activity. This fundraiser is now in violation of our Terms of Service, Term 8, which prohibits the promotion of violence or harassment and has been removed from the platform. GoFundMe said, adding that it would return the $8 million raised back to the donors. Undeterred by the loss of millions, protest organizers simply switched fundraising tactics. Shortly after GoFundMe shut down, the group's main account for protest supporters, calling them Hong Kong Hotel, launched a new fundraising page on crypto fundraising site TallyCoin. The article continues by informing the readers that the crypto site was then shut down by Canada's federal police and transactions with 34 crypto wallets were to be halted. Eventually, another 146, 146 crypto wallets were also frozen. The government of Canada had, without due process, restricted the financial transactions of law-abiding Canadians. A dangerous precedent had just been set by the Trudeau government. They weren't fish. They were not finished. Last Monday, Canada's Prime Minister Justin Trudeau delivered the Freedom Convoy campaign its final death blow and invoked the Emergencies Act for the first time in Canadian history, empowering police to move the protesters. We cannot and will not allow illegal and dangerous activities to continue, Trudeau said as he invoked the Emergencies Act, which granted the police greater leeway to impose fines, imprison protesters, and tow vehicles blocking roads. The Emergencies Act also compelled financial institutions to comply 
which police orders to freeze funds associated with designated persons, in this case, protesters. With funds hobbled, the public sentiment turned against them, and the threat of arrest and financial sanctions looming, the protest movement began to lose momentum. For most of my life, I've considered Canada to have almost the same values as the United States, and yet, what Trudeau did to the truckers is appalling. Someone would expect to see in some third world dictatorship. Can you imagine an American president doing something similar to the anti-war civil rights protests of the 1960s? To the anti-nuclear protests of the 1980s? To the Black Lives Matter protests slash riots of 2020? Can this get any worse? Yes, it can. Because technology, which can link things together, makes it even easier for the government to shut you down if they don't like the way you're behaving. Imagine a scenario where the Canadian government could shut off the mobile banking of every protester at the trucker convoy, not by researching who was there and contacting their banking situations, sorry, their banking institutions, they could simply monitor the cellular GPS of all peaceful protesters, as they did for the January 6 protesters, and turn off their mobile banking. Now just imagine if they turned off all their mobile apps, or if we linked all into a central bank digital currency, and they deducted the social credits, or pulled money off their tokenized central bank digital currency. Imagine a world where your every movement is tracked. Your opinions would be analyzed by artificial intelligence and you could be instantly penalized for wrong thinking. This is the world that the global elites would like to create with the Great Reset. This is not fantasy. This is not unrealistic conspiracy theory. The technology is already there and this is the stated goal by the global governments and the World Economic Forum. In response to Putin's invasion of Ukraine, Apple Pay and Google Pay shut off the finances of countless ordinary Russian citizens. Viral photos surfaced of massive lines at Moscow's metro system showing thousands of citizens unable to access their finances, fumbling about in search of cash for train tickets. This is how it was reported in England on February 28th of 2022. Russians can no longer use their bank cards with the Google Pay and Apple Pay. As newly imposed financial sanctions hit the country, Apple Pay doesn't work in Russia. My bank sent a message saying services might not be working due to market changes. A Russian citizen told Metro.co.uk on Sunday, as of 2020, 29% of Russians reported using Google Pay, while 20% used Apple Pay. Going cashless means your ability to even exist in society can be simply shut off at any time by the government. Do we wonder why Russians might believe the United States is interested in ruining their country? There is a dispute between the leaders of Russia and the West around the notion that we are actively trying to harm the citizens of Russia. How is any of this allowed? Uh, the Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell and the Federal Reserve Bank explored a digital dollar from January 20th, 2022, CNBC report on the effort. The Federal Reserve on Thursday released its long-awaited exploration of the digital dollar, but took no position on the issuance of its central bank digital currency. Instead, the central bank's 40-page document explores a plethora 
of issues and notes that public comment will be solicited. And it was. Fed Governor Leal Brainard, who has been nominated as vice chair, is the biggest advocate for the project, while other officials have expressed skepticism. We look forward to engaging with the public, elected representatives, and a broad range of stakeholders as we examine the positives and negatives of a central bank digital currency in the United States, Powell said in a statement. Now, this book takes a certain view on how globalists will execute their plans not showing their hand while working behind the scenes to bring it about. As I read Powell's statement, he sounds like a typical globalist using language like engaging with the public, elected representatives, and a broad range of stakeholders, which makes me suspect they are further along in their efforts than they admit. China has already rolled out a pilot program for a digital currency, as detailed in January 10, 2022, CNBC article. China is ramping up its efforts to roll out <clears throat> the digital yuan to the broader population as the country's technology giants like Alibaba and Tencent jump on board, also known as the ECNY. It's designed to replace cash and coins already in circulation. Uh, it's not a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin, in part because it's controlled and issued by the central bank. Bitcoin is a decentralized digital currency that isn't backed by any central banks or a single administrator. China's digital yuan is a form of central bank digital currency, which many other central banks around the world are also working on. Through Chinese central banks is a way, way ahead of its global peers. So this isn't fantasy land, it's already here, and the elites are just waiting for the right crisis or incentives to usher people into the new digital system. FTX. As we try to make sense of the Russia-Ukraine war, it's probably useful to ask whether the president of Ukraine, Vladimir Zelensky, with four Ys, seems to be on the side of freedom. Uh, or on the side of the globalist. Um, if we accept the idea that the globalists are attempting to seize control of technology, we might suspect that Zelensky's motives when he announced in, in February 2020 to put the state in a smartphone. This is from a Ukrainian publication. Ukraine's president and prime minister on February 6th presented the country uh, a mobile governance application, Daya or meaning action, which aims to digitize all government services and play a central role in President Volodymyr Zelensky's uh, state in a smartphone concept. By the end of the winter, a digital passport will appear in the app, which allows users to travel domestically, conduct banking, and use medical services. This state in a smartphone effort was led by Mikhailo Fodorov, Vice Prime Minister and Minister of Digital Transformation for Ukraine. He's also a young global leader for the, the World Economic Forum and was a panelist at the WEF's Scaling Up Digital Identity Systems session. So this is how he's described in his biography on the World Economic Forum. Mikhail, Mikhailo Fedorov is Vice Prime Minister and Minister of Digital Transformation of Ukraine. The youngest minister in the history of Ukrainian politics, Fedorov, is 
at the age 30, managed to succeed both with opening his own businesses as well as leading the country's digital revolution. His most important project as minister is the state in a smartphone, which aims by 2024 to have 100% of all government services available online with 20% of services provided automatically without the intervention of an official and one online form to receive a package of services. His biography for the WEF has stated his most important goal is the state in a smartphone, which aims by 2024 to have 100% of all government services available online. Seems harmless, with 20% of services provided automatically without intervention of an official. Seems scary. Imagine our government automatically removing money from your account or automatically freezing your account based on your right to peacefully protest your political views or your carbon footprint. Fedorov said during his presentation to the World Economic Forum in 2021, our goal is to enable enable all life situations with this digital ID. The Fedorov saying the pandemic has accelerated our progress. First of all, people are really are now demanding digital online services. People have no choice but to trust technology. We believe that we have have to make the best product possible, a high quality product, a product that is so convenient that a person will be able to disrupt their stereotypes breakthrough from their fears and start using a government-made application. Wow! You're talking about a centralized system totally controlled by the government that not only tracks and knows your everything about you but can freeze your account as it sees fit. Not only that, but these Ukrainian digital ID services will also feature vaccination, electronic passports, and Ukrainian COVID certificates. Ukraine was pioneering a system that governments all around the world could use as a template to control their populations. If we look at the Russian invasion of Ukraine with the perspective, sorry, with the perspective, do Putin's actions seem as difficult to understand? Imagine all your money is no longer money. It's a credit with a centralized digital system that's administered, administrated by the government. It has a fully tracked and traceable serial number. It could be coded to not allow you to buy meat, Bitcoin, air travel, or gold. It could black, block your ability to buy a pillow from Mike Lindell's company, My Pillow. It could be blocked from purchasing products from my supplement store at Infowars. Now, factor in a digital world ID a vaccine passport that expires if you're not updated on your boosters and is also tracking your GPS movements to know if you've been at the wrong gatherings or protests. It can measure how far you've traveled and if you're committing the cardinal sin of too much carbon emissions. Say, do buy, travel, or translate with the wrong company and your credits can be taxed or frozen this becomes a tool far outside the scope of monetary policy. It becomes a digital gulag. Of course, we've all heard of the gulags, forced labor camps maintained in the Soviet Union. These gulags become prisons used to capture, control, and enslave dissidents. And this is what it, and what is a dissident? It's simply a person who opposed the official policy of an authoritarian state. Now imagine if this digital gulag is being used in countries around the world 
or in the United States. In today's world, they do not need a physical gulag or prison camp. They just need to roll out the World ID system, vaccine passports, and the central bank digital currency. Once they have this, they can imprison anyone they want into a digital gulag. Banking access cut off. Medical access shut off. Taxes confiscated automatically. And credits, which used to be money, are 100% programmable to be deleted, frozen, or removed if you practice your wrong thing. Not up to date with your 12th booster shot? Financials accounts frozen. Purchasing too much meat or buying products from the wrong companies? Frozen. Attending peaceful protests that the government deems troublesome? Frozen. Sure, I was the first person in history to be totally censored and deplatformed from social media. Not really, but... Sure, I was the first person to have all social media, tech companies, and financial institutions remove me from their services. But that was bad. But just imagine what happens when everything is centralized into a world ID. Vaccine passport and central bank digital currency. But to make this just a little scarier, let's talk about Chinese social credit score system, which we will certainly tie into your digital money. This is from a Business Insider article in December 2021 on the system. The Chinese Communist Party has been constructing a moral ranking system for years that will monitor the behavior of its enormous population and rank them all based on their social credit. Like private credit scores, a person's social score can move up and down depending on their behavior. The exact methodology is a secret, but examples of infractions include bad driving, smoking in a non-smoking area, buying too many video games, and posting fake news online specifically about terrorist attacks or airport security. Other potential punishable offenses include spending too long playing video games, wasting money on frivolous purchases, and posting on social media. Being discredited or blacklisted in China makes it nearly impossible to get a job, travel, buy things from stores, get a mortgage, or have children. You could also find your internet speed slow down or be prevented from boarding an airplane. That's not to mention the public shaming component. There is even an application that shows you shows you the names and photos of everyone around you who's low on social credits or in financial debt. All of this is done through algorithmic data, which allows China to monitor everything and build profiles of citizens. Today, massive surveillance cameras are not needed. Your phone is a GPS system, and everything is trackable and traceable through your internet and financial history. This is not me presenting a baseless conspiracy theory, as they like to say. It is all factual, occurring in real time. Then when you combine the modern features of big tech between Google, social media apps, and big banking, your entire life can be easily scored and programmed through a social credit system. It is not difficult to see how a central bank digital currency of programmable financial credits would tie into an overall world ID, vaccine passport, and social credit score system. Now think about the fact Justin Trudeau openly stated that the government he admires most is China. This from the Toronto Sun in February 2011 regarding Trudeau's deep respect for China's form of government. There should be no surprise Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says he needs more evidence before concluding China's horrific treatment of the minority Uyghur Muslim 
population is a genocide, despite having agreed two years ago that Canada's treatment of its indigenous population was a genocide. As Maya Angelou famously put it, when people show you who they are, believe them the first time. While Trudeau is taking a less starry-eyed view of China these days, in 2013 as liberal leader, he was asked during a ladies' night liberal fundraiser what country he most admired besides Canada. He responded, there's a level of admiration I actually have for China. Their basic dictatorship is actually allowing them to turn their economy around on a dime and say, we need to go green. We want to start investing in solar. Think about the fact that countries all over the world are scrambling to launch digital IDs, vaccine passports, and central bank digital currencies. Global elites see this as a necessary control tool to retain total power over the population and all social behaviors. Do you see how all this ties back to a digital wallet, which is a front for social credit scores systems? The vaccine passports are the Trojan horse for a world ID, integrated with a central bank digital currency and social credit score system. The breadcrumbs are all laid out ever so neatly in a row, but it gets even more dystopian if you think about what happened in Canada during the trucker protest of 2022. Under the Emergency Act, Justin Trudeau used terrorism laws to seize the bank accounts of people who donated as little as $50. Simply stated, they used emergency orders to suspend the rule of law, label them terrorists, and seize their financial assets. Appearing on the Glenn Beck program, former PayPal executive David Sachs, who is also the proprietor of the Colin Network, by the way, said, you have all the ingredients that Justin Trudeau was able to seize on. All you're really lacking is the emergency. So Glenn's conversation with Sachs begins with the following questions. How far away from this system are we to have a true credit score? Do you see this happening sooner rather than later? And what do we do to stop it? The former PayPal executive responded, well, this is my main concern at the end of the day. I'm not a Canadian and I watch with sadness what's happening over there, but ultimately it's going to be up to Canadians to govern themselves. What I'm mostly concerned about is the precedent that Trudeau has set that progressives here in America might look at, look to and implement. And let's identify the elements of the ingredients of this toxic stew that already exists over here. First of all, you've got big tech companies like my alma mater, PayPal, having been freezing accounts based on working on, with partisan political groups to shut people out of the financial system. That practice is already taking place. Second, you've got a state state of emergencies in states like California where I live, where the governor is still operating under a state of emergency. He has invoked emergency powers that never seem to end, even though we just had a Super Bowl where 30,000 people were sitting elbow to elbow without any masks on, yet we're still in the state of emergency. Third, we have recently the Department of Homeland Security has now defined misinformation about COVID or the election to be a contributor to the terrorist threat level. So in other words, misinformation in their view can tr contribute to terrorism. So we have now all the ingredients where you have politicians invoking state of emergencies, you've got big tech companies shunning people out of the political system, and you've got this very scary and dangerous re redefinition of terrorism to effectively apply to domestic political dissent. So, 
you have all the ingredients there to, that Justin Trudeau was able to seize on. And all you're really lacking is the emergency necessary to invoke those powers. So that is what I'm afraid of is. I see all the precedents coming together, but we have one thing in the United States that Canada doesn't have, which is a rich constitutional tradition. We have the protections under the Constitution. And I'm so hopeful that our Supreme Court would protect us against an authoritarian attack on our liberties this way. However, there are many in our political system who want to pack the Supreme Court. So I know some of this is scary stuff, but the only way we can defeat this is to understand what is really happening. Believe me, I'd rather be on the beach, retired somewhere. <clears throat> but let's skip the vacation for now and get some context to the Canadian situation. Barry McKillop, Dep Deputy Director of Financial Transactions and Reports Analyst Center, the FinTrack, spoke before Canada's House of Commons Finance Committee. The money the organizers managed to raise was not only cash that funded terrorism or was in any way money, money laundering, it was simply a way for people living in what they thought was a democratic country to believing was a safe way of expressing their position on an issue. These citizens subsequently evidently treated by their government as potential ter terrorists and money launderers were in fact fed up with COVID and were upset and just wanted to support the cause. Yes, the democratic country of Canada, one in which Prime Minister Justin Trudeau said on December 2020, Canada will always stand up for the right of peace, peaceful protest anywhere around the world. <coughs> Trudeau's statement was made while criticizing India for its police response to farmers' blockades in Delhi. So let's unpack this. Canada openly condemned foreign governments for quashing legitimate protests. Then, when a protest in Canada threatened their political agenda, they used emergency orders to label them as potential terrorists and freeze their financial assets. Now, think about the Department of Homeland Security, which issued a bulletin from the National Terrorism Advisory System February 7th, 2022 which was plastered on all news channels which stated on their website <clears throat> the United States remains in a heightened threat environment fueled by several factors including online environment filled with false or misleading narratives and conspiracy theories and other forms of mis dis and malinformation MDM introduced or amplified by foreign and domestic threat actors. These threat actors seek to exacerbate societal friction, sow discord, and undermine public trust in the government institutions to encourage unrest, which could, could potentially inspire acts of violence. Notice a few funny words, MDA, aka misinformation, disinformation, and malinformations. In other words, if you do not follow the official narrative of the rulers, you're a potential target. This is from an earlier bulletin on August 13, 2021, which stated, These extremists may seek to exploit the emergence of COVID-19 variants by viewing the potential reestablishment of public health restrictions across the United States as a rationale 
to conduct attacks. Pandemic-related stressors have contributed to increased societal strains and tensions driving several plots by domestic violent extremists, and they may contribute to more violence this year. Yes, you read that right. If you are like half the American population and oppose COVID restrictions, you could be a terrorist. The same thing applies to those questioning electoral fraud or any issues with mail-in ballots. You could be a terrorist. And you know what that means in a digital world. Your financial credits can be frozen. Your rights can be suspended. And you can wind up in a digital gulag. Funny how all this consistently goes full circle, right? Do you remember when this was all just a conspiracy theory and I was labeled a lunatic? Let's recap this simple model. Usher everyone into having a world ID, a vaccine passport, and a digital identification. Move everyone onto a digital financial system tied together by a central bank digital currency. The digital currency will not be money. It will be credits. These credits will all be traceable, trackable, and tied to a blockchain. These financial credits can be instantly frozen, programmed to expire or not to work for certain products or businesses. And this whole digital system will tie into a social credit score system that becomes your own digital prison unless you're deemed a model citizen in the eyes of the state. But remember, this is all done for your safety, security, and convenience. Klaus Schwab's World Economic Forum released a report in February of 2022 titled Advancing Digital Agency, which said the COVID-19 pandemic has led to a heightened focus on the power of medical data, specifically so-called vaccine passports. These passports by nature serve as a form of digital identity. As you can see, this has nothing to do with health and safety. It has nothing to do with vaccines in general. The vaccine passport is the operating system for the World ID surveillance system. In other words, the vaccine passport is the Trojan horse for the digital gulag. A lot of times I'm accused of being a sensationalizing, fear-mongering, or being a plain old conspiracy theorist. What will happen to those EU citizens, or if this comes to the United States, as I fear it might, who don't want to participate in such an anti-human system? You won't be able to travel, or maybe like in China, you can't get an airplane ticket, or, and or perhaps you won't even be allowed to have money or for food unless you comply with their wishes. And has there ever been a time in human history where the rulers have not tried to get away with taking the maximum amount of power possible for themselves? The digital identity will be sold as a service that will not be mandatory. Just think how they'll try to sell it to you. The pitch will be very subtle. You don't have to submit, but if you don't, you might as well go live in the forest in a hut. Imagine if your neighbor told you they needed an extra room in your house, but they wouldn't force you. It will just be obligatory. The COVID-19 pandemic has provided the perfect Trojan horse for the new normal digital surveillance system that will destroy your basic freedoms. One of the most alarming things about it is the fact that nearly all global governments are pushing the same digital gulag agenda. 
It's almost as if the World Economic Forum has bought off and penetrated the cabinets of global governments. Is this just a conspiracy theory? No. Klaus Schwab said it himself during a 2018 speech. Schwab described how his subversive World Economic Forum has, in his own words, infiltrated governments across the world. He states, I have to say, when I mention now names like Mrs. Angela Merkel and even Vladimir Putin and so on, they have all been young global leaders of the World Economic Forum. Therefore, it should come as no surprise that the digital gulag agenda is being ruled out in a similar verbiage across the world at the same time, and that time would be now. The Digital Identity Working Group, chaired by Australia's Digital Transformation Agency, whose member countries also include Canada, Finland, Israel, New Zealand, Singapore, the Netherlands, the United Kingdom, and the World Bank, through observer status, initially met in 2020 to share experiences and opportunities for the use of digital identity initiatives. They state their agenda to understand how digital identity is being used and the models that might enable mutual recognition or interoperability to share respective governments' experiences with digital identity, including in the COVID-19 response, and to understand what is required to enable mutual recognition and or interoperability between DIWG member countries. And the overall conclusion is that the digital ID is a necessity for humans to share data in the new normal. The report concludes, ultimately when applied, this enables the benefits unlocked by both mutual recognition and interoperability to be realized, including more efficient government interactions, increased support for people traveling internationally. In the future, this could also feasibly enable broader recovery from COVID-19, such as strong, mutually recognized and trusted vaccination certificates to enable safer cross-border movement. Do you see how it's always about the vaccines? Vaccine passports are the Trojan horse for the advancing digital identity by NGOs such as the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Rockefeller Foundation, and the United Nations-backed ID2020. Uh, the World Bank ID4D initiative and the World Economic Forum's reimagining digital identity a strategic strategic imperative program the world economic forums digital gulag plan combined with the chinese social credit score system is a centralized foundation for a global social credit system that will give global elites total control over citizens you take a breath <sighs> two interesting names at the forefront of this movement are isabella chase and rick mcdonald McDonald is the executive director at ACAMS, an organization of anti-financial crime professionals. His resume also includes at the United Nations as chief of the UN Global Program on Money Laundering. If we just connect the dots to Canadian emergency acts on terrorism over the trucker protest and the United States shifting focus to combat domestic terrorism at home, you can see how all this ties together. Isla Chase is a research fellow at the Center for Financial Crime and Security, Royal United Service Institute, RUSI. Rusi is a British think tank. 
that works closely with the British government and military. Isabella Chase and Rick McDonald penned an article together in May 2021, American Banker, titled, The U.S. Pandemic Recovery is a Chance to Improve Digital ID. In the article, they stated digital IDs could have supported our current recovery. For example, a digital ID system could standardize and simplify the process of scheduling a vaccination appointment, which currently varies according to state and provider. In addition, digital ID could streamline and secure individual COVID-19 vaccination records for easy verification as well as provide backup records in the event of loss or destruction of the physical cards being issued by the CDC. Finally, vaccine passports or some version thereof could be achieved through the use of digital ID, at the same time ensuring the accuracy and centralization of records and preventing easily falsified physical ones. The experience of COVID-19 as a case study in the potential of digital ID is as an innovative way to cut down on financial crime and identity theft and certainly to streamline administrative processes. While issues of privacy and proper use should certainly be debated and respected, the promise of digital ID is providing more efficiency and security and makes it well worth the exploration. The sooner the U.S. embraces digital IDs, the better prepared we will be to weather the next national crisis, whatever it is and whenever it strikes. And when you remember that the vaccine passport digital ID system will be able to house your central bank digital currency wallet, then it all keeps making sense. They used a crisis to further a long-standing agenda. This is what I've referred to as problem, reaction, solution. A problem happens, e.g. the pandemic, the government locks everyone inside and takes away their normal way of life. The people are afraid. They want reassurance. The global elites then offer a solution, which becomes more invasive than the original problem. The solution is a global ID system ushered in by vaccine passports, which will then be the operating system for your digital gulag. This digital gulag will host your medical, financial, and social credit score. Of course, it's all for your own safety and convenience, right? This is their tried and true formula. Problem, reaction, solution. Now it's being rolled out in the real time with COVID-19 and the recovery. But the goal isn't your safety. It's about total control over our data, which will ensure our total subservience to the globalists. Okay. And that was chapter six. You probably won't face a firing squad in the Great Reset, but you may be put in a digital gulag from the Great Reset and for the world. By Alex Jones. Okay, there's Sele. Wow, we got an audience here. We got Amy, we've got Blood, we got Charlie, William, we got an online listener, we got Sele. Hi, Sele. Hi. Sorry, I called so early. I didn't know how it worked. So I... No, 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 no. I mean, I, I hope you enjoyed the reading. That was that was all Alex Jones, and actually, there was a huge chunk in there from uh, from David Sachs. He's one of the proprietors here on Colin. I, I heard that. Yes, I heard yeah. that. So let, let me let me just. Can you turn up, pot up your mic because you're very low. Okay. Hey, and Miranda's joined us too. Okay, now you hear me. Uh, better, but more. Okay. Um, okay, hold, hold on, because it's very, like it's 36, 37 degrees here, and I 
listening to the, the thing that check check your mic. I'm gonna I'm gonna okay, put you back right in, in the caller uh, call you until you get it get it correct. I'm just gonna take the next caller. Just jump back up in the in the caller queue. Take William. Hi Sheila, can you hear me? Okay. Pot of your also low. Really? Yes. How's that? Is that any better? Yeah. Hey, Charlie, I'm going to ask you to come up here. I'm just going to see if I can invite him to come speak. I'm just trying to get his attention because his dot's in the room. Everybody's microphone's really low on, this, on the caller. Okay, uh, Gregor says he can hear everybody. Can hear William. Is anybody else hearing them clearly or with more volume than I am? I can keep talking. Will that be good? Can you hear me better? Let me me see what I can do. Okay. Okay, all is well. Yep, yep. Go ahead. Okay, great. All right, well, uh, yeah, I mean, this is obviously... um, Something the World Economic Forum, World Health Organization, the Central Bank Digital Currency Program around the world. Um, and notice, uh, it seems like most countries are on board as we look at the history of things that have to date. Do you follow me? Regarding- yeah, I mean, the G20, the G20 did sign on to a huge, um, it, it was like cut and paste of World Economic Forum you know, they they just committed the yeah. whole G twenty. Yeah, it's pretty scary. Now, there's something they're meeting. You know, you know those NGOs uh, who have nothing better to do but fly around the world and then party and whatnot. They can't do this, obviously, uh, uh, over the internet. No, they got to. <laughs> we can't have gas stoves or drive cars. Anyway, the point I'm trying to make is there, there's something else they work, were working on diabolically which to finalize uh, proposed, what do they call HR amendments, international health recommendation amendments this week, um, which there's 10 amendments, which I put an article in the uh, chat that are quite draconian. Um, and um, so these are the international health regulations are existing and legally binding international law if the proposed amendments are presented that are presented in the 76th World Health Assembly, they could be adopted by a simple majority at the 194 member uh, of the 94, 194 member nations. Rather than me read all this, maybe you'll have a chance to look at it and we can cover it at some point. You cover yeah, it. I mean, if you have a link, I would love to analyze it uh, and, and do like a Saturday program to unpack it at length. Yeah, the link certainly. Is- I'd also like to share it with some other responsible journalists out there working on similar similar tracks. Because I'll tell you what's what's happened this week is that the the World Economic Forum got outed for their for their disinformation misinformation policy as yep. rules of censorship and Sheila Jackson Lee cut paste a legislation that essentially uh, kind of blanketed dissent as a form of white supremacist terrorism and you know would hell ban everybody indefinitely and throw them in jail it was very very draconian mm-hmm. 
And then that was that was Monday. Okay, on Friday, Brazil's government had they have a SCOTUS there that's doing a Kafka, you know, shell game where you know he's going to issue a secret order from his desk and then cancel anyone on a platform because he said so, and the the platform can't announce it, and the uh, and and the person who is canceled can't know. So I'll bet there's more of that happening from foreign governments. I'll bet there, you know, this is the first we've heard about it from a, from a major international player like Brazil. But what if that's, you know, what if there's a, a secret Kafka court in um, in maybe Canada that's calling out even American users or or you know foreign national users or or maybe China is saying, well, I don't like what you said online. And uh, do this or else, because I had I had notions that that was some of that was going on, because I had a lot of dissent against the Chinese government while I was still still in Seattle, and I was afraid that I was going to become a digital target because of the way that they're incestuously marbled in with the wheelworks in Seattle, and with the Canadian government. Wow. Yeah. So. Well, I'm, I'm, yeah, it is something we all need to be concerned about. The link is the first link I put in in your live chat, by the way. Okay, let's let's have down. a look down there. If everybody's the the vaccine reaction link. No, if you that... go all the way down to one of the first links. Wow, there's a whole book down here. You guys were busy. <laughs> oh, so this is this is uh, from Naomi Wolf's site, the Daily Cloud. Yes. Okay, very good, because she's she's been active on the vaccine passport thing. Yep, yep, yep. And then there's a couple of the links. Another one, Ron DeSantis talking about potentially having a, a moving to have a grand jury investigation into the COVID wrongdoings. That we'll see. He announced that in December. It's been a bit trying to get a grand jury to do something. We don't know. You know, but at least he's put it out there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I mean, similar things are, are going on here in Texas. Of course, you know, this is a, a very protected place for social media freedom. You know, you can say what you need to say and not worry about um, the overreach of Google or, you know, say other California-based um, enterprises that have online presences and platforms. They can't they can't snatch you off the web uh, as a Texan. <laughs> so, I mean, I hope I, it's something. You're you're here on a Texas show, so you're you're not in any any peril. <laughs> Great, great. There's one last thing I'll add because I know you have other callers real quick. Um, it's my opinion and the same with, um, let's see, uh, Judge Politano and uh, Attorney Robert Barnes that when the Alice Jones cases get to federal court, which they didn't do undoubtedly well on free speech, they'll probably just be dropped. Another federal free speech. Well, law. I hope it, that boil escalates soon because that man has just been dragged and dragged and he needs. All of us need a break from it. Um, I, I really, I really hate what has happened to him. Nothing is worse than kind of, you know, riding around doing, you know, errands, and then you know, here on NPR that you know, NPR, which is kind of like the weenie, you know, milk toast government-funded news radio of of America, and you know, they're kind of the ones that that you know 
professional commercial broadcasters kind of poke fun at them, like, oh, you know, if you end up at New NPR, you did something wrong. Um, so, but to hear them, you know, putting on, like, big fat armor, like, they're going to take out Alex Jones, like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. It was completely bonkers for them to say, because Alex Jones is selling vitamins online, he's a bad guy. Like, are you, have you lost your mind? <laughs> the, the whole thing is completely insane, because under the federal free speech laws, he and Dave Knight and Dave Devani were investigating uh, Wolfgang Halberg, um, you know, for your hearing, that was covered. I mean, there was a lot of what seemed like very strange anomalies happening, and that's part of reporting. And so I'm fully on board with supporting what they were all doing, and we need that free speech. And, um, you know, to be retaliated against like this uh, is is absolutely inappropriate, in my opinion. But the federal yeah. free speech laws do exist, and they've always they limit the state from censoring free speech. And so they are Vandiver versus Ohio, New York Times versus Sullivan, and Snyder versus Feltz. I, I put a list in there. People want to look them up. And... Uh, we should, as Judge Politano says, and, and Attorney Robert Barnes, it'll just be a matter of time before it gets to the federal court level and under uh, that jurisdiction. You follow me? Free speech? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Free. Hey, William, I've, I've asked you to join the speaker's call in so we can keep oh, the conversation have. going. And um, I'm going to take Celie. I owe her a mic. So okay. um, just accept my, accept my offer, and then I'm going to take Celie. All right. Okay. Hey, Celie. Hi. Now, now, can you okay. hear me? It's the best I can do. Oh, it's very good. Okay. It's very good. Um, but you turn it down a little bit now. Oh, too much? Oh, yeah, it's, it was actually on my end. Okay. Now, can you hear me? Oh, yeah, this is very good. Thank okay, you. Okay, perfect. It's, it's like before. <laughs> I think it was your your end. That's yeah, it was. It was. It turned out to be my end, and it's so glad. I'm so glad and so grateful that I have Gregor to to tell me the truth. And like, okay, I hear it fine. I hear Celie fine. I'm like, oh, well, maybe it's my end. And so I got it. Uh, here's the thing, right? Like uh, before the pandemic, I heard this speech from Klaus Schwab, and that's when I started to get interested in the World Economic Forum because he said this, right? Like he said that he was so glad to go around countries and see that the young economic leaders that they formed were oh, right. in different parts of the government, right? Like he was finding uh, economic ministers and all, all over the world where he was like finding this, this in, inside the cabinets of the, of the governments. And he mentioned that he already talked um, with a former... Uh, you know, disciples or whatever it is, Trudeau, Macron, and Macri. Macri was at that time the, the president of Argentina. So that one were my, all my alerts, like, you know, <laughs> what the fuck. So I, I started researching. Here's the thing, like in Argentina, uh, the elites and the, are the ones that are more on the right. They will be like the Clintons or this, this kind of they are very connected. The, the idea is to to sell everything very cheap and gain, gain a lot of money to the U.S. and Europe and buy them back, you know, like destroying the industry. So it's a different dynamic. But nevertheless, I went in and put Argentina and in the list to, to see who were the 
the ones in Argentina, right, that went through that program. Okay. And I found that we're not only on the right on on, on Macri's party, but the the economic minister that came after him, this guy is, uh, you know, this. Oh God, I forgot this. Uh, there is this leftist um, economic prize winner that he's his disciple. I can I will remember the name. But the thing is that this guy was not, you know, like it was across the board. The the guy, the people that I found. So this is the guy that arranged the, with the the IMF this horrible renegotiation of the debt that Macri took. The thing is, uh-huh. yeah, the thing is what. I, I was more shocked is that he was so bluntly saying, right, like, I, I put the, these people out there and right now they are in all governments in the world. And the thing is, I, I wanted to let you know also that my father called me just today to help him do a biometric, uh, you know, get into no. the yeah, And here, like, here we have a very, like, Culturally, vaccines are not a, a, an issue, right? Like, it's a very, it's very welcoming to vaccines. So it went without a passport or anything. And also it's a society, like, there was this law that they wanted to pass where the police were free to stop you and ask you for your ID on the mm. street, which I think is, is done all over the world. And there was such a mess that it went back, right? Like, yeah, it's, it's very to... restrictive. That's how major authoritarianism starts always with an id and yeah. and the thing is is that um a lot of people are like well where did she go what happened to sheila you know because i i did a lot of work i mean a lot of work okay and i got yeah. dragged and i got buried and nobody cared what happened to me they didn't check on oh. me nothing <laughs> That's 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 what that's what's going on. Like that's what happened with the news when somebody. Well, I mean, let me let me explain. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't you know, but buried in reputation, and you know, nobody asked about me. They didn't. They didn't seem to try to reach out. They didn't do anything. And uh, you know, they. I don't know what they thought. I, I honest to this day, I don't know what they were thinking. I think I put a standard out there that you know. Listen, I'm getting really burned out. I need I need to be uh, I need to be funded better in order to to help fight these digital IDs and these national identity schemes. And I yelled for help, and nobody came. But they're very good, I think, in demonizing certain people that oppose them. So when they disappear, it's the crazy person that went away, right? So you know, to it's very easy to dismiss someone when they they use all that that propaganda against right? it's so weird because your case but it happens a lot yeah i mean it's it's so weird silly because like i had an interaction with a woman who was propagating the national strategies for identities in cyberspace and this was in the early 2010s okay like 2010 2011 2012 okay and we did i defeated it i helped defeat it Again, you know, it, it's not like anybody paid for for the help that they got, but they didn't deal with it, and it yeah. was an integrated space. So, you know, years later, I'm, you know, I'm buried, I'm disconnected, I'm not, you know, I'm not really in Texas. I don't have a good support system. I'm surrounded. I'm basically, you know, surrounded by the enemy. I had I had an operative 
who worked directly with Salesforce on top of me in my building that I lived in. I didn't even know it until I left. Until I talked to Naomi Wolf. I'm like, what the fuck? The guy from Salesforce. What, I can't even remember. The, he, he did Time Magazine. Benioff. Yeah. She worked directly with Mark Benioff. And she was right on top of me, trying to be my friend during the COVID pandemic. But yes, it, it's so much resources and so much. It's obvious something they're hiding right? because otherwise you won't spend that much money into just uh, like hiding the voices of ones of the ones that are out there saying something about you, right? They they are they are spending tons of money and and resources on on just demonizing uh, journalists and, and whoever steps up. What well, The thing is that like society here is very defensive because of what we went through for our liberties, right? So uh, in the, they didn't even try to put a, a passport with the vaccines, and, but they didn't have a problem. You mean they in Brazil? No, in Argentina. I mean, I, I, I'm Argentina. Where at, Celine? Where, where are you talking? I, I'm not talking about Argentina. And the thing is that my father calls me today and asked me for, the, yeah, there is, there was no problem with the vaccine and there was no passport or anything. They tried to do a thing, but nobody pay. Like here, it's not even like protest. It's like people just say, okay, no. Like that, that's how the lockdowns, because somebody said it's finished because people decided it was finished and went out on the street and you cannot imprison 50 million. So it's kind of, we have a relation with authority that is, very different but the thing is so how do you get all the things so my dad was asking me and I said what do you want this and he explained to me that in order to avoid this this thing that he had to go and go this bureaucracy in person and go like three times to the same place to ask for us you know an appointment you know bureaucracy here can drive you insane I think that's mainly why don't we have guns because we will be murdering ourselves or everyone else every day because it's, it's kind of, of infuriating. So what they're doing is not because pay attention, right? Because it might not just be the vaccine, the vaccine. Oh, there you are. Avoid that. He, so he can do it from his cell phone. He had to put on his biometric data, his quill, his, uh, that is the, it would be like your social secure number. Right. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, people like my dad is 80, so he's not like, I, I'm going to help him, right? Because he's 80. So, I mean, does he have to do phone. that or, or is it, are they forcing him to do that through the phone? No, they're not forcing him. He can do it in person, like going through all this bureaucracy that, I, that I, I'm telling you was to make you murder someone. Or he can do it over the phone putting all his biometric data and stuff like that, and his social secure number of the equivalent. So what I'm telling you is in a society where they, there was not uh, this this thing with the COVID, right? It's less controversial and they were not going to put the passport because maybe it won't pass or whatever is the reason. They didn't do it. They didn't even try. What they're doing is, is getting the same data that they would do, that they would get, but to other means. So that's what I wanted to put out there, right? Like you have to pay attention not only to that, but all kinds of things that the government that you are, I don't know how to say, but paperwork, this paperwork maybe that you have to do 
in order to get some subsidy or in the case of my dad in order to keep receiving his Okay. Health. So this is kind yeah. of a chicken or egg thing because when I lived in Seattle, one of the problems that the government had was that they were two two things. They put a high premium on on putting digital identity in the system, but the systems were not hardened for information security. Mm-hmm. So so within you know a month of it they they totally attacked the crap meaning like the the Chinese and um two other nation states viscerally attacked st- the Washington states um ES uh the the employment system mm. okay they got everything they got driver's license identity articles bank information everything they got the whole enchilada and on hundreds of thousands of people and they were overburdened they were unprepared but they put a huge requirement for people to put their identity in the system and i said to hell with this yeah we, i didn't yeah, yeah. need to do it and, and but i watched it happen and yeah, that, yeah. that was the only value added for my presence my bodily presence which i i i swear to god and the angels that that god only had me there as a witness just to witness all of this because I didn't benefit. I didn't benefit ever from Washington State. The only thing I could say I, I benefited from was the fact that they didn't go in on real ID law. Okay, they they managed to 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 get away from that, but they made a huge quorum of that being an immigrant issue. Okay, rather mm-hmm. than a national national uh, you know protectorate of of the identified person who is the U.S. national. Which they should be. They should be protecting U.S. nationals and, yeah. and the integrity of their identity. But obviously, they didn't care about any of the the you know the information security uh, of the na- national res- residents who live there. Okay, yeah. but the but the sacred foreigner. Oh, you know, yeah. Bill Gates and his whole you know World Economic you know Forum grid program and getting everybody enlisted in AI and all that other garbage. Yeah, but you and know, they... here we we here is not just like you the way you say about China. Like here we are, like we are afraid of the U.S. as well, right? And we are afraid of England and. Because but you know, has the has the United States ever attacked your systems and said, you know, we're we're gonna take your systems down? Has that no, happened? No, not our systems down, but they what they did many times is they economically attacked us in different ways they the way they do with you know with for instance if you put um the sanctions for instance right or or blockades like they do with cuba like you can starve the people you know like you can get two generations of malnutrition kids with lasting effects in their brains so it's not just the data so it's it's we've been attacked like uh, south america latin america has been attacked from different for their resources from different countries for different reasons, and so yeah, to me is to me any big country, <laughs> any big country is a threat. Maybe I'm like you know paranoid or whatever, but yes, I, that's but you're not. Right. You don't seem to be afraid of China for some reason, which you know I think you should be. I think no, you no, should be I nurturing think... a healthy res- respect for that person as your enemy, that no, national think, CCP. No, I think that the, all these, on the, I, I know about all 
I, I, there are some things I'm not that sure about, but what I know about very well is what you said about this, uh, of, about the, the what you are ratings and if you can get a ticket or not a ticket to ride. You cannot get a bus ticket to get out of the city if you have a debt or if you were like not, but like even what they buy, right? Like they are in, like if you buy more diapers or alcohol, it will get you a different point. And that's uh, yeah, that's the social credit system that we talked about uh, yeah. just now in in the reading. Hey, oh, Cindy, I'm, I'm, I'm going to bring you up. That. I'm terrified of that. Yeah, everybody is. Everybody is, and I'm going to bring you up to the speaker call so that we can take the next caller. I'm going okay. to. Okay, would you would you go to the speaker column with me? Sure, sure, no problem. Okay, I'm going to bring you to the speaker column. Okay, and then we're going to take Gregor, who's awesome. Edgar, Edgar. Welcome to National Public Radio. <laughs> We'd like you to know that you will eat the bugs and enjoy them. We'd like you to know that life is much easier if you just take the vaccine and have the IDs. <laughs> and now we will talk about his sweaty balls. <laughs> <clears throat> Sorry, couldn't resist. I know. I know, I was just thinking sweaty balls. Sweaty balls. Yeah, sweaty so he's, balls! He's going to go serve a little bit of time for killing somebody, so. Ugh. But that's besides Alex that. Baldwin? Yeah, oh, you didn't hear about that? He killed somebody no. on set and they finally declared, they finally um, convicted him of manslaughter. Oh, no. Well, he pointed gun, loaded gun at somebody, pulled a trigger, kind of, you know, has a tendency to do things. So, uh, I, you know what, I, I can't. I didn't mean to bring that up. Sorry. No, just... I, I'm just, you know, I, I'm. I never want to see anybody go to jail, but God, I mean, he did kill a woman. Yeah. Well, it's been reduced to manslaughter, oh. and that's really about the best you can hope for. So, for him, you know, for hit from his side of the picture, it's the best you can hope for that he killed. I, I think. I think the forensic science probably done him in. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, the camera that showed him pointing the gun and pulling the trigger kind of probably has something to do with it too. <laughs> well, forensic evidence demonstrating just that, yeah, d- sufficiently oh. um, in, in, in the know, court. In the court, IDs and vaccines and all this stuff is is terribly frightening, and we're going to give it up. Uh, I, we the people, we the sheeple, are going to give it up. Um, the people may not, but some of the sheeple will. Give and up what? We'll give up our rights because it's easy. That's just. I don't think anyone in this room is ready to give up their rights. I'm not saying this room. That's what I meant. The difference between sheeple and people. Well, I give my father rights in order not to accompany him to do the things. But he's 80. (laughs) Right. Well, well, and there's a there's a challenge. I mean, you know, and and. But going back to the idea, the IDs, the idea of IDs and, and mm-hmm. you know, you have to do this in order to get this done. You know, the only solution that I can see is to try to, to just participate in the alternate economy. Well, yeah. That's, that's when you the, say the, the ultimate system. economy, what do you mean? Like the generalized economy? No, the alternate. I mean, anything that's, you know, more direct. And it, it comes, I, I'm just, I just started um, Ludwig von Mises' book on uh economic chaos and it talks a lot about um you know what what actual economy very is is really and dealing with you know trying to deal direct with people instead of what we do now which go through these corporate entities like stores 
Oh. You know, if, you, if you can find something that's used, buy it. If you can find something that's local, buy it. If you can find, you know, anything. Oh, to I stay love that stuff. Do you know? Do you know that I'm a, I'm a great big fan of of real economy, like yeah, like yeah. real bona fide trade, like this for that. Um, you know, people well, yeah, people. But we, but it's too convenient to to do your job and get your check to directly deposited to your ATM card that you use online to buy something from a corporate entity. Well, I mean, um, we're kind of hell spun up as a cu- culture. Saley was was commenting that you know I'm doing this based on my convenience. You know, that the, the bureaus will mm-hmm. will will drag me and my 80 year old father for you know six months to to process his paperwork unless I do it through my phone in five minutes with biometrics. Yeah, which so so and that's problems. not really a choice, you know. And, and mm-hmm. the thing is, is that I'm the a hole. Who would sit there and I would I would go toe to toe with the bureaucracy. I will go every step with you and twice on Sunday to avoid getting over processed by this machine you decide to mandate. Yep. And and I'm you know, I'm with you and, and there that brings us back to the idea of you know, the World Econ- the World Health Organization, the UN, these entities actually as much as we see things happening that they're causing or pushing, they really don't have a lot of legal power over us. And that's one of the joys of our current Supreme Court. Um, that that as- whips me back into this memory that I was trying to get out um, where I was with Kale- having this back and forth with Kalia Hamlin. And she's, she was heckling me that I didn't, I didn't finish my book series. And while she was heckling me, she tried to purchase my book the books that I had out, and she realized that I was I was corked, or or shut off by PayPal. She's like, I can't buy your book. Shut up after that. Now she was one of the architects of these end stick, and she was really, you know, promoting it and siphoning it out there. You know, uh, you know, integrating everything because she's Canadian, mm-hmm. and they national ID everything. So that they they've integrated all the systems and all the social systems into into one you know great siphon, which is what made it so easy to hack and tackle a, a, a woman who gave fifty dollars to to the trucking fund. That's why it was so easy because yeah. they've already got digital IDs and national IDs in in the pocket. Yep, and and that's one of the reasons to at least be cautious. I'm not saying they're bad, but the whole blockchain. Culture, if it's not implemented right, will be nothing but a trace route that people can take to, you know, do the same thing. If we route that through government entities, if we don't keep it outside of the government realm. Um, yeah, I mean, the creep factor got so high. When I was living in Seattle, I would go to these tech meetings um, with with the University of Washington, and and I would sit around these people who would who actively, you know, and they were identity people, you know, identity plus blockchain. That's what they wanted. That was the goal. And they would sit there and they would try to ply me. They're like, hey, Sheila, what do you think about blockchain? I'm like, well, it could be private. But, you know, I'm looking at them sideways because I'm just getting this really nasty vibe that, you know, they want to pull this so that they can monetize identity. And the whole point of monetizing identity is to make you a coin. It's already happened. Like, People get so angry with me when I say this, but I can say with absolute certainty that when they send you over to India as a spreadsheet, they convert it to yuan in coin, and then they send it back to data, 
to 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 Google as money. Okay, that's how that's how it works. Mm-hmm. And it was done before, right? Like long before this existed. Like you would, I don't know, like what is a blockbuster, right? Like they would send each other. The, they would sell each other to I know a blockbuster chain to a, a bank, and they will have your data and start calling you, you on the phone. So it's not something new, really. It's just more evolved. Yeah, I think that that it's been both simplified, but also streamlined so that the money people began to look at it like like a commodity. Seely, so so your data is no longer. They they've tried to interrupt the ownership of you owning your data so that you take it out of their liquidity chain. That's how obtuse they have become. They're like, how dare you? How dare you claim ownership for your data? That is mine. And you are just the cow surf that generates the income that I take home for you being on the platform. Mm-hmm. I get it. Okay. One thing, I one question before, like I want to ask you and Gregor, because you mentioned like the simplified economy and everything. Like in 2001, not so long ago, my country went bankrupt and there was no money, and a big part of the population went into trading stuff, right? Like there was no money. So the ultimate was, economy. That's that's what I, you're talking about, Gregor, right? The ultimate. Yes, definitely. Oh, yeah. the, you that, know, that's that, that, that's okay. the most natural okay. economy is a trading is trading individual goods for goods. I mean, that's the barter okay. economy that that free market. Is. Okay, Buenos Aires is a 20 million people city. So eventually, uh, it lasted for a, a couple of years. I mean, it's not something that it's lasted. But the thing is, the the it wasn't kept because it it became impossible, right? Like there is so much. First, there is so much you couldn't buy because you were able to eat, maybe, but you have to pay the light and you have to pay, you know, other things. So you have to get money somehow. So it's the the system is built as if there is not a possibility to do that unless you live in the I don't know. I'm not that even in the countryside you would have to pay some bills of to the government or whatever it is. So you know what what I mean? It became like an impossible to thing to, to maintain. Well, and, and, and it was that, very uncomfortable also, right? Yeah. Well, and and that's that is the that is the whole reason that that money was made and the Federal Reserve was started was so that they could, you know, that it, it makes it easier to exchange energy, which is what products are, if you can turn them into cash, and that way it's negotiable into something else. But the problem is, as with Argentina, as with what is going on here in the U.S. You know they're printing so much money that eventually the money is worth nothing—not just worth less, but worth nothing. Okay. And we run I and know. we run into the trouble where we have to do that. I just had a, an epiphany. Okay, when they run out of money, what are they going to have, Gregor? They're going to have people. No, or they're going to have numbers, right? Like you would do it electronically. Uh-uh-uh-uh. No, no, silly. The, when they realize that the the, the economy is going to crash, okay, the, what sub or parallel economy are they going to have? The only thing they're going to have is data and people. Yep. 
I don't think I'm following. Sorry. <laughs> well, the, the, government, the government is trying to centralize the economy, right? It's trying to say, and, and the U.S. government, top of the U.S. government, the U.S. government is trying to make sure that you are you're boxed into this little box, right? And then when the economy collapses, and it will, and we don't change the way we're doing things, if we keep printing money by literally just adding magical zeros to the end of the amount of money that exists, which is what's going on right now, at some point money is worth nothing. So what they're going to have to do is they're going to have to figure out something in order to get trade. And the only thing they have to trade is our labor, which means next thing you know, um, all these wonderful wealth, you know, health programs or programs we have where they give people money for practically nothing. All of a sudden, all these people are going to be put to work someplace in order to get a check. And they're going to be doing whatever they have to do because that's what the government forces them to do. I can see that happening as one okay. option. But the money, we agree, I think we all agree that it's a myth, right? It's, it's, it's something, it's a paper, right? That you put, that society puts a certain value. And as you say, the more you Absolutely. print, the less it value. Like we we are in a 100% inflation right now. So like I can give you, like I know a lot about that. The thing is that uh, here you have a special, like, you know, a special condition that is you have the dollar, which is now what, Every uh, every currency refers to as if it's valuable or not. Yes, so you don't have to go through that. But the thing is, before it was the dollar, it was gold. That that. So what I'm struggling to understand is how do you uh, like how do you run out of lies or or myth or whatever you because gold actually is nothing worth actually, but you cannot do much with gold, right? The, the, it's worth because it's it's not that usual and it's hard to find. Well, I mean, see, I mean, that, there's a debate there. There's a debate there. I, I think that throughout human history, gold has always been a commodity of money that's always been money. Now, you exactly. know, paper has been treated as fiat. It's a myth also. Well, I mean, you know, anything that you ascribe value to, you know, if we all agree this this shell is valuable and we agree on the value of that shell as as a value and it is it takes four shells to buy that burrito, then we agree together that that is the cost of commerce. Exactly. That, That's that, money. That's well, money. Okay. That, well, that, yeah. gold is always gold has always had that value. Yes, but it's it's it works in in a similar perspective because if you have like you cannot eat gold, right? You cannot eat like you have. You can. Eat. I mean, I put it in chocolate bars, but you know, or had some <laughs> chocolate bars. You can. You can't eat it. It's there That's is edible. Well, yeah, you can. But but the point I is, think, is but point I think is, Celine... you cannot build a house on gold. You, like my point is, it's not practical. It's well, you add I... value. It's, it, it's it was used in the same way that it was used money, and before it was salt. My point is, how are you or the world or whatever is going to run out of valuable things to find to exchange well now let me let me adjust your view of what gold is a little bit okay both gold silver and copper right these are three precious metals semi-precious metals to precious metals these things are actually consumed by industry all right they're not making more of it there's only so much we in inside the planet there may be more out in the asteroid belt but that's neither here nor there um, and so gold will always become more valuable because it will always, even as we're mining it, it becomes more rare because we're using it in our electronics and, and to build some of the wonderful, amazing things we have now. So, and silver, the same thing and copper, the same thing. So 
purchasing, you know, amounts of copper, gold, and silver, not only are they have a perceived value just because of their weight and the fact that they're physical, but they also mm-hmm. have a, a viable economic value in the fact that they're needed for electronics and things. So I would highly encourage people, if you can't afford gold, I would encourage you to buy silver. If you can't buy silver, I would encourage you to buy copper. I mean, they're well, actually making copper coins again for collectors, you know, in order to, you know, say this is an ounce of copper so that you have an exchange, exchangeable volumes of it. It's, you know, we're starting to see that bubble up a little bit at some places. I understand that. And I understand that you cannot print as the, the way that you print money is not as easy to get gold, right? Like gold is difficult to find. It's difficult to, there is a lot more gold that is not yet being taken out. Like we are fighting a big battle in order not to start the mines that, that we have. Like here, we have a lot of gold in the Patagonia. Mm-hmm. So, and in the Amazons. I cannot tell you that they're destroying the Amazon because of that. But the thing is, my point is that these, all these things that are valuable, you can point that to oil, right? Sally, are you Brazilian or are you Argentinian? I, I don't, I'm Argentinian. Okay, I thank you. I'm Argentinian. The thing is that I, I get what you're saying, but at the same time, you there's not just those materials that we're talking about there's rare materials there are diamonds there's oil there's lithium now there is uh, there is many others things that have been discovered that are uh, not that gas right that are not uh, in, like that are how do you say countable right that are finite and the thing is that money as you say let me tell you from a perspective of a not dollar country it has consequences when you print it it's not just you cannot when you print it out uh, out to nothing you have a hundred percent inflation so which we're going to find out about here because that's what we're doing no no i'm telling you like if you print like that's not discussed right like what is discussed is if the inflation is is due to this guys, guys, I gotta move. I've gotta move the the, the, the talk train fast. here, Sally. I, I gotta I gotta move the talk train. Gregor, you've been invited to the speaker column. We can resume this, but I think Vlad also has something to say. So, Vladi, are you there? Oh, hold on. Oh, oh. hi, buddy. Oh, well. oh. I can hear you very well. I can hear you very well. Okay, good. So, so basically, this is the thing. It's not going to be an easy transition over to what the West, the World Economic Forum, wants. There's got to be a fight. Uh, there's going to be countries that are going to see it. are like, you know what? This is delusional. This is wishful thinking, pipe, pipe dream kind of shit. It's not going to work. The only way they're going to be able to control us is if, if everything is totally made. And this is what, what uh, Biden already signed last year. Digital coin. I'm not talking about Bitcoin, but making oh, CBDC. digital coin. Yeah, yeah, the, the CBDC, the there central bank digital cur- currency. Exactly. So once he's able to get that shit rolling, if it happens under his tenure, which I hi- hi- highly doubt it. Hopefully, whatever president comes in, whether Trump or anybody out, knocks that shit out of the way. That would be the only way that they would be able to control us, and using a form of what you said, ESG, a form of social credit. That would determine what access we have to the money, to the digital coin. We'll never see paper money again. You see, that is the weakness of the government. This is one of the reasons that right now Kevin McCarthy is defunding 
if he hasn't already done it, funding the the implementation of the 87,000 IRS agents that Biden wanted. There's no money for them. They can't go to work. But this is what they they were they were trying to get people that are using their Venmo accounts, uh, PayPal, all these other services to cash app kind of thing to get money. Whether they're doing only only fans things for the girls doing their dancing, pornography, whatever, or selling all sorts of stuff. This is what they they want to control. They know that as long as they don't have full control of paper and coin, which is a USD. Crime is going to continue. All sorts of backroom deals are going to continue, even including their own corrupt system. Of you know, money. I mean, but they've had no problem, Vladi, doing, doing and being corrupt on their own, doing as they do right now. Okay, the only the only use for, for any of this... Okay, so Chiefs Baby Girls speaking up here. Says, okay, just as an FYI, Vlad was right the last time we were talking about the border, and I was confused and questioned him, and he was correct about most of it. And and uh, I agree with you. Um, but in terms of, like, CBDC, we've done several programs on uh, ESG and SDGs and, and, you know, generalized Great Reset programming. We've, we've read a lot of stuff from Glenn Beck, and today was the first reading of um, Alex Jones. And I read his chapter six because it's super important. And I gave live examples of like the reason why it was so easy to corral uh, the truckers is because they had a national identity system already integrated with their banking system, and um, which it, it ended up in the mobile pay as well. So everything was fully integrated. And um, you know, as far as uh, I did have one item to report for Saturday, and that's going to be the fact that the Europe's AI convention, like the, the fact that they're developing AI government uh, standards and regulations, uh, they kicked out all the NGOs, all of them, which means World Economic Forum included. So I, I, I kind of have been reaching around, reaching out to like the data ethics people that I know in Europe, and they're all being very quiet right now. Uh, but some of them, they may be being quiet because they they were, you know, seduced in part by some of this WEF stuff and the woke stuff. And every time they they try to bend or capitulate to some of these interests so that they can get funding or uh, sustaining money, um, they they got the well got poisoned. So I think Europe said, okay. This is a very poisonous, seductive uh, means to an end. This World Economic Forum, they're misleading some of the other better NGOs and national groups. I think I think it's best to, if we just cut them from So, the, so, so Sheila, you're telling me they didn't like, uh, you will not own anything and be happy? I'm telling you, I think that <laughs> the G20 nations are getting massive blowback, including the United States. There's a referendum against the World Economic Forum. No, no, no. I mean, it's it's super real. Uh, if you go to the picture for this episode, it's it's uh, it's basically uh, some of the direct quotes from from Epoch Times reporting that they have a new crisis comms guy that came on the stage today to talk at Edelman to discuss you know the issue of mistrust of the at World Economic Forum. Oh. 
No one, when, no one trusts us. That, that's a huge crisis. <laughs> well, there's a reason why too. I don't know if this is relevant, but the one, the prime minister from New Zealand, Jacinda Ardern, just stepped down. So there has to play something. I mean, if she did such a great job, and her in her party, Labour Party, so good, why the hell did she step down? Because there's, as you already heard in the background, there's people that are not for this authoritarian. That's what she, that's what she portrayed. That's what she put out in full display throughout through, throughout the uh, pandemic, the COVID pandemic. And the one that was worse was Australia. So people are beginning to wake up and see, you know what? If we continue to have these people in power, next thing you know, it's going to be draconian law. It's going to be a chip on your on your right hand because it doesn't work on the left, exactly like the Bible said. And next thing you know, we won't be able to buy or sell uh, until they tell us. They'll be in full control of it. That's what they want. Jezebelian, full control and manipulation of, 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 the, of people. No okay. freedom for anybody I just want to promote a, a, a Netflix. Does everybody here have Netflix? I mean, uh-huh. how many? Yeah, do you have Netflix, Lily? Yeah, but in Argentina, it's not the same program. So okay. Maybe. Well, I mean, maybe maybe you can get it. Uh, this is an international program that's available in Spanish. Okay. Um, What's it called? It's called Big Bug. It's actually a French film, uh, and it's it's based on uh, the. If the World Economic Forum kind of got what it wanted, what kind of society we'd really kind of end up having with, you know, temporal robotics, uh, brain chips, fully automated records, um, and uh, SDGs, you know, permission-based blockchain to operate the air conditioning in your house, um, remote-controlled vehicles that wouldn't operate unless the government says it's okay, and, you know, remote local approvals, and the bug snacks are in there. So, so remember, Shayla, what Obama said in that in that forum, I think it was in Canada, that we're too stupid to run our lives. Oh, we well, he's full of shit, and, and he's not, yeah. no longer in office. He had his two terms. <laughs> Bye-bye. What, Sile? No, I wanted to ask you both a question, actually, because this is out of ignorance, right? Uh, not, not to argue. It's very clear to me, the World Economic Forum, uh, Bill Gates, all this this these people are very clear to me. But what I see is these other forces, right, that intervene a lot, like the, you can say the Heritage Foundation, 30 World, like some hedge funds, that seem to be on the opposite side. Like, is there other force that is trying to, you know, get hold of things that is not with them? Maybe it's against them? I'm not sure. Uh, well, I mean, the, the- there, we have a strong representative government uh, that will capitulate to to, uh, to the voters, and I do believe that you know there is a um, a power. There has been a power to kind of calcify out the interest of people who uh, who vote, and part of that has been Citizens United. I just saw the croppings today. Uh, of a legislative movement in the United States to repeal Citizens United. It was the first thing of interest. Nobody even endeavored. So there is a real, uh, you know, uh, legislative revolution happening right now, but it's it's more broad-based. They're they're beginning to see each other again. And uh, everyone had, everyone dealt with COVID. Yeah, that's... 
we all dealt with the same repression. That's that's and so they're like, this isn't what we want for our children. This isn't what we want for our lives. So they're they're all having a moment. Yeah, that's that's on our side, right? But I was wondering if there is a force, right? Like, I don't know. Oh. Oh, yes, yes, you mean some of the contrapositive people in favor of the, the World Economic Forum. There's a whole list of, of uh, oh, legislators. Okay. I'm very interested someday if we can talk about it because uh, I, I, I struggle to recognize where, where they divide, where they get together, you know, because I, I acknowledge that there is not just the World Economic Forum. Okay. I mean, I there's a ton of NGOs that, that coordinate with the World Economic Forum, but yeah, you know, yeah. they... Oh yeah, well, but, I, but maybe yeah, maybe the other ones that I've seen, right? Like they are together. This like you have here two opposite parties that are the main parties, but if you look at them in a way, like they are entangling the same businesses. If one, if yeah, I mean, I, it's it's a variety of of huge think tanks. There's the 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 committee on the Council on Foreign Relations, which has been the big baddie for a long time. There has been the um, there's a version of a conservative coalition which is basically a neocon think tank convention. Mm-hmm. They it's not CPAC, but it's like the dark CPAC. Okay. <laughs> it is just a much darker, more uh, fascist militarized version of CPAC. Just remember um, Shayla. Those two right like all these private militaries that exist right now are also hang on, hang on Sally. It, 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 it sounds it sounds a lot like it's Star Trek. We are the board Well, but on the ground, like what it actually looks like is, you know, Mike Tracy trying to figure out, okay, why isn't this a tank? Okay. And, and those, those conversations are really, really funny because it shows you how the department of defense kind of, you know, it sabotages itself with the, the rigors of, what a thing is called so that they can get the taxpayers money to finance a certain grade of weapon oh my god and so uh, an entire film was uh, made about it also called the Pentagon Wars with Kelsey Grammer and the guy who starred in uh, The Princess Bride does, it, does anybody remember the, 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 uh, the male lead in The Princess Bride no I never saw Okay. Anyways, the name of the film... <laughs> Who? Pentagon Wars. Pentagon Wars, that's right. So if you go there, the Pentagon Wars is, a, is a, uh, an exhausting illustration of what it's like to actually kind of deal with DOD Civil Bureau stuff. And uh, while everybody thinks it's like, you know, the, you know these are big bad heavies... Um, the American military. There, there's an edge to this which is extremely stupid, pedantic, and unbelievably cumbersome. So, uh, <laughs> you know, when we go to war, when we overcommit to these wars, there's there's a whole war economy that is completely oriented, self-oriented. It's it's on its own column, and these generals actually get promoted based on how much war contracts they can they can solid up yeah before the the ukraine war started there was this shopping for war like against venezuela all over like trying to convince presidents there was this was obvious that when they decided to withdraw from afghanistan that they were looking for a war 
somewhere to put weapons that somebody will buy them, right? It's so, unbelievable. So it's and, a and I'm never that, for this. Yeah. I'm never. I'm never for this. Is anybody here in the in the room that that really believes we need to send American soldiers to 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 fight in Ukraine? I really want to hear the argument if that's you. Okay, that's a total vote of well, I know what I, I know what I used to believe in it. Yeah. I can play devil's advocate. Okay. For 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 a few minutes. Then I think we should probably wrap this up in the next couple of minutes. You can't let the bullies run around. That's always the argument. It always has been the argument. It was the argument everywhere. Not people realizing, not realizing how often we are the bullies. Yeah, maybe um, we're pushing. Okay, bullies. I mean it's a good argument. I mean, but, I mean like it's um, a valid argument. But that you know that that has always been, and even now today, when you know, why would why do we have to start? Why do we have to be involved with an or uh, the country that really doesn't? We don't have any national interest in, except for the fact that my son used to get hundreds of millions of dollars from them. Um, you know, I, I it, it, it has it has to do with, and we brought this on ourselves by talking about bringing Ukraine into the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, which we promised we wouldn't do, and then we started you know started doing that. So Russia felt threatened, sort of like if you put missiles in the Cuba, they felt threatened by us being enjoined in, in Ukraine. So this is was completely predictable. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. All right. I'm gonna exactly. I'm gonna break in here. I'm gonna break in here. Uh, Chief's baby girl says my son is there, and I am pissed pissed you can't imagine oh my god of course so i am sorry that that your son is in ukraine fighting this dipshit war it is, and and i am i am happy for his service but i'm sorry he's located there as well cuz i just don't there's no good purpose that can come out of this except for get us in deeper and make things worse and more people dying there's no end in sight. It's the same kind of thing we saw in Afghanistan, et cetera, where we just ended up fighting a war continually for no real purpose. And making some few people rich, right? Like a very small percentage of people richer. That's also the case. I guess. William is also posting in the chat. I don't, William, you can open your mic and speak. It's, 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 it would be wonderful, you know, when you're invited to the speaker column, I'm hoping that you'll, you'll also speak. Oh, hi. Yeah, well, um, Oh, we, do you want me to comment on Ukraine? What would you like? Uh, yeah, uh, well, you had something down here. It says these days, uh, the poorly, if not all, if at all defined, concepts of misinformation, disinformation are often used by governments and social media. They influence simply as a one-size-fits-all excuse to censor information and stifle free speech. And that was solided this week by reporting from Kim Iverson. She actually just showed the, the WEF boilerplate for misinformation, disinformation, malinformation. And it was just cut, paste, Sheila Jackson Lee. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah there's an article, article report that that I pulled up, you know, I copied the text off of. So I wanted to mention one of the, one of the uh, chief, chief baby girl asks, where do I get the information? Um, I... Uh, found in the Play Store a browser called Yandex. Y A N as in Nancy D E X. Oh, Yandex. Yeah, I know about Yandex. Yeah, I don't know if she does, but that's where I get it. Um, well, there's uh, also if you want to go directly to the CISA.org website, there's there's policy, public policy, public you paid for it information there 
on misinformation, malinformation, you know, and what they cover. The things that they're they're really circling around are election, what they think is election misinformation, disinformation. So they want to control the political process. They want to control the disease as as a commodity. So you can't speak out against or you know against select Pfizer unless the CDC says you can, which is BS. Um, you know you should be able to administer administrate your medicine privately with your doctor. Shayla. Unbelievable. How, how dare you talk against the government? Don't you know you have to report to the Ministry of Truth first? According to Jacinda Ardern, the, the, the government was a single source of truth. Don't, don't listen to nobody else, just the government, the single source for all truth. Yeah, I heard her blubber her resignation on Tucker Carlson last night, so that was that was very interesting. That was very interesting. I have I, the lady in the call, uh, the, the live chat. Uh, I'm confused. Is your son a U.S. military, and they actually put him? Actually, yeah, I think I think her son joined joined the the what what is he in the armed forces? Army, Navy, Miranda. What is he? Possible he could what, be a contractor. Air Force. He's an Air Force serviceman. And they're over there for logistics. They're helping with, um, you know, moving a lot of the, this equipment that we're moving over there. We have, we do have people on the ground theoretically not fighting, but they're supposed to be quote helping with training and logistics. So that would probably also include some drone warfare, maybe. I don't know those those Indian drones that they're using and the and the other homemade stuff they're doing seems to be doing a pretty impressive job to be honest. You're following this more tightly than I am. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to be there, so I'm kind of, I kind of shut off. Like, okay, they spent our money, they got, they got what they wanted my, out of me. I don't want to even. Shada, my question is: If he were to get caught by the Russians, would he be a prisoner of war, or would he be in another category? Anybody know? Oh, oh, right. Uh, the categorization of of. Uh, we are in an intervention now. We're not really in a war. We're in a an intervention. Does anyone want to? Does anybody want to tackle that one? So the classification of, of the level of uh, conflict that we're in, technically, according to the State Department rigors, and, and you know, for everything that's going on. We are in an intervention, a military intervention, not a war. And that is how we got into Vietnam. It's horseshit. And yeah. you, you better call a congressman when we hang up. <laughs> so, I mean, we've been doing this for about do uh, an hour and 50 minutes here. I'll let you finish your statement, Gregor. I'm sorry. I said, yeah, the best thing you can do is call your Congress critters and make sure you vote for ones that don't want to go to war. The problem is, is all the money that they get from it. But we have to make sure they know that despite their money, they won't get reelected. Uh, one word, Sheila, sorry. Because you mentioned Brazil and things are getting really crazy. I'm, oh, yeah. I like, I have a lot of more like uh, investigating to do to, to because so many actors and, and I let you know and I, I oh yeah keep me I posted a, I definitely want to hear about that. that yeah because it's so complicated that I want to do it like 
I have to investigate seriously. It's not just yeah. believing what you hear. <laughs> well, I mean, what I'm hearing is from Glenn Greenwald, which, you know, I will totally promote him uh, a little bit on, on the program. He has a, a Rumble program that, or the system update that broadcasts every night at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time, 7 p.m. Eastern, um, much earlier if you're in Pacific. But uh, I just wanted to say thank you, everybody. Thank everybody who's given me uh, a decent amount of attention and, and ear and also contributed such great spirited uh, rhetoric during this this, uh, this version of the Unsanctioned Citizen. I think, I think there's a special magic around Alex Jones, so keep him in your prayers and you know, don't let the bastards grind you down. So I'm going to wrap it there. Come, come back Saturday hey, afternoon and we'll have another good talk. Bye, Sheila. Thank you. Amen.